0: the Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. 1 this morning, Ephesians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will make sure you get one. Ephesians chapter 1. And while you're doing that, I want to just welcome our guests this morning. We're so glad that you're with us. There is a, uh, in the seat back pocket in front of you, there is a Connect card. Fill that out. Take it to our Welcome Center, which is directly across from the main entrance, and we have a packet of information for you there that will tell you a little bit about Calvary Chapel, what we believe, who we are, and whatnot. So make sure you fill that card out uh, and, and drop it off at the Welcome Center. We also want to uh, welcome everyone who's joined us on our live stream. Also, uh, those who are listening to, to the radio program that's going out, starting to go out as of today at 1130. We'll be sending our radio, our sermons from Sunday mornings out on the radio. So be praying for that, that God will use that. And we want to welcome anyone who's listening uh, to this uh, broadcast even now and uh, also anyone who is listening to our podcast or or through our website or uh, through one of those means. So uh, again, we are starting a new series. We started a new series last week. I'm calling Rags to Riches. It is a study through the book, verse-by-verse uh, verse study through the book of Ephesians. And let me say that last week, the, the 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 information contained in verses 1 through 14 changed my life last week, changed my life. As I studied through this, and I hope they changed your life. I hope that came across how incredible our God is. The things that He has done, He has done incredible things. And we are reminded in His Word what He has done. Man, it is it was so rich. You could spend... You could spend the rest of your life studying verses 1 through 14 and just considering what our triune Godhead has done for you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all involved in making sure that you're redeemed, that you are sanctified, and that you will one day be glorified. What an incredible, rich, rich text that we have. It does not change in verses 15 through 23. This this book is going to be impactful. If you listen, if you have an ear to hear, what the Holy Spirit has to say, you are going to be changed through this study. I promise you, it truly is Rags to Riches story, a real Annie story where we can sing about tomorrow, tomorrow, we'll love you tomorrow. It's only a day away, you know. Hey, it really is an Annie story. You should give me an applause for that. That was incredible. I I, I mean, should I not take up acting? I'm kidding, but anyway. Listen, if you missed last week, go to our website, go to our podcast, Calvary Chapel of Columbia, through iTunes, Google Play, listen to it. As we come to verses 15 through 23, Paul having just unenveloped the heart of God for you and everything that he has done now makes it personal, and he unveils his own heart for these people who are Christians in Ephesus. And he is being stirred incredibly by what he has heard, and the purpose of his prayer is that they may know. That they may know, and we'll we'll get into what all that means. Stand with me, if you would, please, and we're going to read verses 15 through 23 in chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, we read this. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... who fills all in all. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we are looking for you to do great things in our hearts today. Because your word is alive and active. It is true. It is powerful. It is life transforming. This morning, would you, God, would you just do an incredible work in our hearts. Would you awaken our eyes, the eyes of our heart this morning to see the greatness of who you are, that we would stand in awe of you, that we would give all of every ounce of worship that we can muster to you, God, because you are worthy. Will you help us to see all that you have given us in Christ, that we would, as Paul says, walk worthy, worthy, of the calling we have been called, that we would walk worthy in our, in our Christian walk, Lord. We're asking you, Father, today that we might know the incredible riches that you've given us in Christ, and not only that, that we would apply it to our lives. We need your Holy Spirit to come to speak into our lives. We pray that you just do that work now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you were to take a survey of your prayer life, what would it look like? If you were to take a survey of your prayer life, what would it look like? For some of you, it might not look like much. Because, frankly, you don't really have a prayer life. You don't pray that much. You're like, hmm, let me think about the last time I prayed. You, that may be you. But some of you, you know, you pray as you would consider your prayer life, my question to you would be this. What is your your most requested prayer request to the Lord? What is the most frequent thing that you ask God to do in your life? Think about it for a second. What are you praying about? Uh, Some of you are praying for deliverance of sin. You're saying, Lord, I need to be unshackled from this thing. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus not set you free already? He's already set you free. But you're asking for that over and over again for freedom. Uh, You know, for for some of you, uh, the content of your prayer, you're asking God to deliver you from this trial, this desert, this valley that you find yourself in. You're saying, Lord, This isn't comfortable for me. I don't like where I'm at. Will you deliver me from this momentary affliction that I'm experiencing right now? Let me ask you a question. Did God not give you victory over every trial, tribulation in your life? Has he not already given you victory? Yes or no? The the answer is yes. Who do we have victory in? It's in Jesus Christ that we have victory. Why? Because he has victory over everything. So we have victory, but we're praying for victory. Maybe you're praying for more power from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you come and empower me in such a way that I could be used mightily for you? Let me ask you again Did not God give you the Holy Spirit when you were converted? Yes or no? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit given in part to you in that moment? No. So therefore, you already have what you're asking for. The reality is this. You're not walking in it. You're not walking in it. For some of you, you know, in order for us to walk in these things, we have to know about them. That is why we spend time going verse by verse through the Bible so that you and I can know what God has done for us and therefore we can apply it to our lives, right? So we got to know in order to apply. Now, check this out. Many of you know already. Like you just answered all those questions. Yes, I've been uh, delivered. Yes, I've been forgiven. I've been delivered from my sin. I've been delivered from my trials. Already I have victory in Christ. I have the Holy Spirit in me already, and yet you're still asking, and the reason you're still asking is because you're not applying. You know, but you aren't applying to it. Now, that is a whole different topic that we will talk about when we get to Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says this in verses 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Paul is in prison when he's writing this, urge you, who's he speaking to, the, the, the saints in Ephesus, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Listen, Paul is in prison. He's exhorting free people, people that are not in prison. He's exhorting free people to walk worthy of the manner that they've been called. He's in prison. He's being the example, isn't he? He is walking worthy of the calling that he's received as he is in chains for Christ. Yet he's exhorting others to walk worthy of the calling that they've received. Listen, Paul tells us in these verses that circumstances don't define us. Listen, but character does. Circumstances don't define us, but character does. He, he, he tells us here that, that what kind of a character that we ought to walk in. We ought to be humble and gentle and patient and, and bearing with one another. We ought to be eager to maintain unity in the spirit of bond of peace. How do we do that? Through Christ, in Christ. Well, we need more of that in our lives, Lord. No, you already have it. You're just not walking in it. You, you, you see, you don't have to get the character of Christ. You already have it. If you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you have the same character of Christ inside of you. You just have to unveil it and allow it to to come out in you. Sounds simple. No, you know what it requires. This is the reason we don't do it. Because you have to die to yourself. You have to say, I'm not as important as I think I am. God is way more important. I want God's character in my life. I want Christ to come out in me. And so I have to surrender and die to myself. But I don't want to do that. Because it doesn't feel good to do that. My flesh wants to rule and reign. Listen, there is a period of time where your flesh will will buck you in that process. And yes, it is a daily dying. But but I want you to understand that if you will beat your body into submission, as Paul said, if you will practice this on a daily basis, it'll be much easier. Just like the first time you walk in the gym, you think like, man, I'm going to get huge. And you put on all this weight, right? And you're thinking like, man, this is feeling good. You know, what happens when you wake up the next day? You're like, oh my gosh, what did I do? You know, there is pain involved in it. But that pain will, will, will slowly fade where there is no pain at all, right? That happens as we apply God's word into our lives. It's painful at times. Initially, it hurts. It's difficult, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Paul is praying for these saints that they would understand the riches of the glory that they've been given through Christ. The fact that the Father has chosen, He is elected, He is predestined. Jesus Christ has redeemed. The Holy Spirit has sealed you as a guarantee. Our God has done everything that we need. All we need to do is walk in it. We just need to simply walk in it. And that is what Paul is praying for these saints in verses 15 through 23. Specifically, that they would know. Did you catch that in verse 18? Lord, I'm praying that they might know three specific things. We'll talk about it in a second. But it's that they might know. That is my prayer for myself and for you today. That you may know. That you may know. That is what I'm calling this message. That you may know. And there are three specific things that I want you to know about this prayer that Paul is praying the first thing that I want you to know about this prayer that Paul is praying in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, is the cause of his prayer. The cause of his prayer. Look at verse 15. For this reason, he tells us right away, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints. Paul is connecting what he is about to say with what he just said in verses 1 through 14. So he is saying, in other words, I, you know, for this reason, you could translate that, therefore, therefore which if there's a therefore, we know what it's there for. It's connecting previous uh, content with what he's about to say. And it's important that you understand that because Paul would have no basis whatsoever to say what he's about to say had God not chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, and guaranteed us an inheritance. He would have no basis to say what he's about to say. But because he has done all those things, because God has done all, all those things for you, Paul can now pray with confidence, with great confidence uh, that these folks would know and possess all that they've been given in Christ. That is his prayer. No, notice the motivation for his prayer here. He says, he, he says, because I have heard. Because I have heard. The cause of Paul's prayer is, that, is from what he is being told regarding this church in Ephesus. We don't know by who but we do know the content of that conversation. He says he's being told about what? Their faith and their love. First, their faith. Paul had heard about their faith, not in general, but in Jesus Christ, in the Lord Jesus. Now, this is crucial. This tells us the kind of faith that Paul is hearing about. He is not hearing about that, you know, no doubt God is doing great things in this church in Ephesus, and he is moving miraculously, but that's not the faith that he's hearing about. He's not not that kind of faith, not the applying faith of miraculous things. The hearing of the faith is a saving faith. That is what he's hearing about. He's hearing about conversions that are happening in the church of Ephesus. He's hearing about people confessing Jesus Christ is Lord. That is a prerequisite for salvation. If you do not crown Jesus Christ your Lord, he is not your Savior. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, supreme, head, has the authority over me to do and say and and make me, you know, walk in whatever means he desires, right? That's what a Lord is. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. If you don't do those things, you can't be saved. You have to make him Lord of your life. And by the way, you will one day or another. Philippians chapter 2, verse 11 declares to us that every knee will bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God the Father. You will declare Jesus as Lord this side of heaven or beyond. One way or another. But if you do it on this side of heaven, guess what? You gain an inheritance through Christ. You are adopted into the family of God. He transforms your life and he makes you new. Paul was hearing about the saving faith, the conversion that was taking place in Ephesus. And man, he got all jacked up. He was so excited. He couldn't, he couldn't even contain himself. He's like, I just got to pray for these people, man. I, I just got to, I, I want to I just, I'm so excited. W- well, hold on a second. What about uh, the church in Rome where he is? He's not worried about the church in Rome. He's excited about the church in Ephesus. What does that say to us? If God is moving... In a church in our community, ought we not be excited about it? Ought we not be praying for that church? Or are we just going to pray for our church? Lord, would you grow our church? No, no. It's his body. Listen, we are part of a body, a community where Christ is head. It is not about Calvary Chapel. It is not about any other church individually. It is about collective church and what God is doing. Now, let me, let me say this. There is a church that I am incredibly excited about. It's called The Bridge in Spring Hill. They launched a Columbia uh, uh, campus uh, not too long ago. And God is doing amazing things through this church. And I'm so excited. Every time I read something, I'm like, Lord, do it, Lord. Continue to do it, Lord. And I pray for these guys. And I'm praying for the pastor that he'll continue to preach the gospel, that people will be converted. I I just read their annual report this last week. 386 people got saved in the last 12 months. Is that awesome or what? Listen, yeah, amen. (laughs) Praise God. Now, listen to this. If we're so focused on us, and we become so jealous of what God is doing in our hearts, we will miss it completely, folks. We'll miss it completely. Listen, we are part of a body, and that body is big. It's not about this individual body, although it is, and we'll talk about that in a second, in some degree, but it is about what God is doing. It is not an individual church that is doing this. This is God moving in an individual church. And, and we ought to be excited and we ought to be praying for them. We should be praying for them. Uh, Paul said it like this, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. When one, uh, for when one says, I, I, will, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Paul says, hey, man, don't get jealous about what God's doing through somebody else, and don't start following a man recognize that whatever is going on in whatever church is God doing it if it's good listen if you know you might not even agree theologically on uh, in some of these churches but if God is moving and God is, is is doing things and that's not merely by number but that is by conversion saving faith which is what we're talking about then we ought to be excited about that we ought to praise God for that we ought to be praying for these people i would sugge- i would say to you pray that God would move mightily through the bridge, through every church around here, but recognize his work and give him glory for it. Praise the Lord for what he's doing there. So Paul is saying, listen, I heard about the faith of those that are coming to faith in Christ in Ephesus, and I'm excited about it. I'm not missing it because I'm focused on the church in Rome where I am, but I'm, I'm, I'm just in jubilee over the fact that God is moving because I am part of that same body and we want the kingdom of God to grow. And Not only that, but listen, he also had heard about their love towards some of the saints. They only love some of them, not all of them, but some of them, right? No, that's not what it says. This is all of them. Their love for all the saints. Again, this is a telltale sign of genuine conversion. The fact that these Christians are loving each other to the fullest degree. All, collectively, numerically, all of them. Not some. All of them. And that is incredibly difficult to do, isn't it? Because we have that person in our life that is just extremely difficult to love. I try to love them, but they keep messing it up. It's their fault, you know. No, no, it's not. It's your fault it's your heart. Listen, I I promise you, if Christ loves them, He will give you the ability to love them if you surrender that to Him. But you just don't know them, Lord. Oh, don't I? Did I not, was I not pinned to the tree for that person? Do I not know their sin? What am I saying? You have the capacity to love every person, no matter how difficult they are, because the Holy Spirit is in you. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, He is He is trying, at least, to come to birth forth the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, right? And out of love flows everything else, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you will allow the Holy Spirit to do that work, you will love all the saints. Now, Uh, You know, it's incredible that Paul had heard about the saving faith and about their love because it's one thing to hear about people coming to the altar, is it not? It's, well, that's great. You know, you had 386 people come to the altar. It's an entirely different thing to hear about the gospel transforming lives to such a degree that people are loving each other. That is true conversion. And that is why Paul is excited. Love is the sign of genuine conversion. 1 John 3.14 we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love some of the brothers. No, because we love the brothers, all of them. Whoever does not love abides in death. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty clear. Listen, if you're not loving, and John would say that multiple times through the, through the book of 1 John, if you are not loving like Christ loves, you are not in Christ You are not in Christ. You shouldn't feel comfortable with your salvation. You shouldn't feel secure in your salvation if you are not loving the way that Christ loves. So then you need to what? You need to examine your heart to see whether you're in the faith. You need to ask yourself, Lord, what's going on? Why why am I not loving this way? Is the Holy Spirit not in me? Romans chapter 8 says, if the Holy Spirit is not in you, you are not of him. If you're not sealed with the Spirit of God, then you're not of Christ. I'm not trying to get you unsaved. I'm just trying to help you understand that if you are not walking in love, if you are not exhibiting some fruit in your life, then you perhaps are not saved. It's not about going to church. It's not about simply knowing Bible verses. It's about life transformation. It's about life transformation. It's about metamorphosis. That is the biblical term. It is about the caterpillar that changes into the butterfly. That's who God has called you to be in Christ. And that transformation is taking place. There are people that will challenge you in this area of love. (laughs) And, again, the way that you could love them is you have to die to yourself. That is the only way. And I would suggest this, that we take a moment right this second... And we pray that the Holy Spirit come and we surrender our hearts in this specific area that we would love each other the way that he's talking about uh, the way that we should love each other. Will you pray with me for a second? Make this prayer a, a sincere faith prayer with all your heart. Holy Spirit, I surrender my whole heart to you. I give you full control to fiercely love all of the saints through me. In Jesus' name, amen. And listen, it, if you pray that with all sincerity, it is done in your life. Why? Because it's God's will. You don't even have to wonder if that's his will. That is his will. And we know the Bible just says repeatedly over and over again, Jesus said it, James said it, if you ask according to his will, anything, it will be given to you. You have that. So walk in it. Walk in this love. Paul had heard about the faith and the love of these saints in Ephesus, and man, he began to pray for them. And what is, we come to a third point that I want you to know about Paul's prayer, here, and that is the content uh, or the consistency of his prayer. This is the second point. I'm getting ahead of myself. The second point, consistent, Paul's consistency in prayer. Look at verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks to you, for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul is praising and praying ceaselessly for these saints in Ephesus, he is thanking God for what He is doing in their midst, and he is no doubt also praying for protection, because we know when God is moving, the enemy also is looking to attack. We know that. Don't think for a moment that you can that you can uh, reap uh, three hundred eighty-six salvations in a 12-month period, and that, that you're not going to have any backlash from the enemy. Don't even think, of, think that to be true. He is going to be lurking. Are we afraid of the enemy? No. Why? Because we've been given victory in Christ. But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't negate the fact that the enemy is lurking in the midst of God w- moving, right? So we need to pray for that. We need to ask the Lord again, Lord, bind the enemy. Allow your work to be done. Let us, more, more so the prayer, let us not lose hope. Let us not grow weary in doing good, God, even in the midst of our trials, whatever they might be, right? The prayer isn't for victory because we have victory. The prayer is that we would walk through it in victorious ways, right? So, Lord, help us. Paul is praying, Lord, help these believers. We praise you for what you do, but help them, Lord, to, to walk in the strength that you've been given them, Now, one of the greatest temptations that the enemy will use in your life when God begins to use you is the temptation to take God's glory. The temptation to take God's glory. When you stand up in front of people, people begin to look at you differently, and then the enemy will start to, you know, come alongside you and whisper in your ear, yeah, it is all about you, man. You are so, God is so lucky to have you. I mean, Without you, who knows what would be going on here? Probably nothing because you're the whole reason this thing is happening. Not. Not. That's what, but that's what happens, right? You've been there, you've heard that. My family thinks I am. Why walk on water? We know you don't, right? So don't you dare deceive yourself and receive your own PR. Listen, be careful. That is how the enemy is going to tempt you. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's really so blatant even. And yet we're like, whoo, you know, just... Whoosh, that's what happens to us. We, we take it hook, line, and, and sinker. Beware of that. Paul mentions the fact that he is praising and praying ceaselessly for these believers. And he is giving glory where glory is due. And it's important that you do that for sure. But let me also say this. It's not just in the victories. It's not just in... you know, the mountaintop experience is that we praise God, right? It's in every moment of our lives. He is worthy of our praise no matter what we're going through. It's not circumstantial. Like, God, I'm praising you today because you're so good to me. I mean, you bless me so much and all this kind of stuff. That is true whether you're going through a trial or not. He is good to you. He has blessed you. The fact that you have breath in your lungs, you know, is the reality is he's blessing you. But if you're not, if you're walking through a valley today, you're going through something difficult, let praise still be on your lips. Continue to praise him. Thank him. God, thank you for what you're doing in my life. I don't understand it right now, but I know that you're working out this for my good. I know it. Why? Because the Bible says so. Romans chapter 8, 28. He works everything out for the good of those who love him. You have to preach to yourself when you're in the valley, When you're going through trials, you have to remind yourself of what you've already been given. God is making you more like Jesus in the midst of your trial. So, we praise him for it. We thank him for it. Consider it pure joy, brethren. When you encounter various trials, for those trials, summary-wise, will make you like Jesus. They will make you like Jesus. So, you praise him for that. Lord, thank you. And trust me that he sees your tears. He saves your tears. He counts them. He cares about them. They they are not going wasted, I promise you. Neither is your suffering. He is working in your life. Trust him. Give him praise, even in your pain. As we come to verse 17, we come to the third and final thing that we need to know about Paul's prayer. That is the content of his prayer. Look at verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Firstly, we see Paul praying to the Father, asking that he give these believers the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Listen, in the knowledge of him. That is important. The prayer was really like this. Lord, help them to know and to walk in the riches that they've been given. That is simply the summary of what he's saying. Lord, help them to know and to walk in the riches that they've been given. That's what he's praying for. Some people think that Paul is praying for the Spirit of God here. Lord, help the Holy Spirit to come to to, to give them more of your Holy Spirit. No, that's not what he's praying for. Again, the Holy Spirit is not, you know, he doesn't give the Holy Spirit in partial to us. You either have the Spirit of God or you don't, period. He is in full strength all the time. Now, whether you're walking, it is a whole different story, right? But you don't get just part of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit or you don't. And if you have it, then guess what? The power's in you already, right? Yes, there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is a different uh, type of uh, experience with the Holy Spirit, the upon experience, the epi experience of the Holy Spirit, where He comes upon you, listen, not for general Christian living. That isn't why He comes upon you. He comes upon you to be a witness in power and might for His glory, right? So it's for something miraculous that He wants to do through you. That's not what He's talking about. He's talking about a simplicity of Christian living here, and He's saying, Lord, help them to know and to apply what they've been given. They don't need extra Holy Spirit for that. They already have that. So they need to walk in it. And so he's praying for them that they would. They are, at this point, walking in it. Paul continues to pray that they would continue to know. That would suggest to to me and to you that no matter how long you walk with Jesus, there is something more to know about him and there is something more to apply in your life. Right? We don't ever arrive spiritually where we say, Oh, okay, I now know the Bible backwards and forwards. I know God's word, and therefore I have applied it into my life. I'm good. No, you're not. It'll take a lifetime and beyond to really fully know God. And, and thankfully, that we will know as we are fully known one day when we pass from this life to another. But until then, we keep learning. We become Bereans. We sit before His Word and we allow His Word to do its work in our lives that it would unveil, it would reveal revelation, it would reveal Jesus Christ to us in a special way that we might know to apply what it is that He revealed to us. That's what Paul is praying for. Now, wisdom is this. Applied knowledge. That's all it is. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Okay? Paul is praying praying for both. He's praying for knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom of what? Of him. Of him. Not of his word, not not of his miracles, but of him. That we would know him. That is the mission statement of Calvary Chapel. To know him and then to make him known. To the extent that you know Christ, it's the extent that you can make him known. So, you need to continue to grow to know so that you can continue to make him known, Right? So we need, to, we need to be in God's word constantly asking for revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ, and for wisdom, the application of the knowledge that we've been given. That's what Paul is praying for. Paul is asking God to help these believers avoid the pitfall of thinking that they need something more from God. They have everything that they need from God. They just need to know it so they can apply it. They need to, they have everything that they need, and they need to know that so that they can apply that. And what a word for us, because as I said in the very beginning, you can't apply what you don't know. Why do we say over and over again, get in the Word of God, make sure you're reading the Bible, you know, over to to the point that we just, it's just kind of a cliche statement. It is the most powerful thing you can do is to know Him through His Word. And the second is to apply it. You know, it's not enough to know it, but you have to apply it. You have to use the wisdom to apply it. Many, many Christians fail at this. They do as what Warren Wearsby illustrated through a man named William Randolph Hearst. If you know the Hearst Castle, this, this dude was like, you know, ultra rich in the early 1900s. He built this castle. He ran into some financial problems through the Great Depression and couldn't finish it. But it is museum-like today. Incredible castle worth $160 million in 1916, right? So just incredible, incredible stature. But this guy was into art big time. He had warehouses full of art. And, and so what, what, don't let the rain distract you, but what uh, Mr. Hurst would do is he had warehouses full of these art and he would read about art and as he was reading about this one particular piece, he said, I gotta have this piece. I have to have it. So he prayed uh, or, and he didn't pray. He asked his, uh, um, I'm getting distracted from the rain. What's going on here? He, he <laughs> Mr. Hurst asked his agent to go get, uh, go get this piece of art for him. So the guy spent months trying to find it. Only to find out that he already owned it in one of his warehouses, multiple warehouses that he had full of art. That's what many Christians are like. They're searching the world for more Jesus, for more Holy Spirit, for more biblical something. They're they're, they're searching for more of something, and yet they've already been given everything they need for life and godliness. You don't have to search anymore. The search is over. When you come to Christ, the search is over. You have what you need. He is what you need. You don't need more of Jesus. He gave all of himself to you. Right? You don't need more of the Holy Spirit. He gave all of himself to you too. You, they need more of you. They need more of you. It's the prayer of John the Baptist. Lord, I must decrease that you might increase. That is the issue. Lord, I got to know so that I can apply. I got to know that I, can, that, that, I can, that I can apply what you're saying. I need this kind of wisdom, Lord. I need this kind of knowledge so that I can become more like Jesus. Secondly, Paul prays for enlightenment in three particular areas in the lives of these believers. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope in which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. In asking for the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened, Paul is speaking to the center of their life, the core of personality, the total inner person where thought and emotion and moral judgment come. He is talking about literally in in the Jewish culture, it would be the mind, speaking about the mind, but the central core of the person where your emotions and your intellect all connect. That is the place that he's speaking about. You can argue about whether it's your heart or your mind all day long, but, but this is the place that he's speaking about the central core of a person. He's saying, Lord, enlighten. Literally, that word means to cause to fully know. To fully know. Paul is asking God at the core of these believers in their heart of hearts that they would be given full knowledge of the riches of Christ. In fact, it is from this verse, interesting enough, that the old chorus, the old Worship song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul Beloshi, he wrote that song saying, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart. Lord, I want to see you. And that is the prayer Paul is praying. Lord, open the eyes of their heart, the central being where their emotions and their intellect connect. Open their eyes that they might fully know you. That they might fully know you. Paul wants us to have a complete and full knowledge of three specific things here. He wants us to know what is the hope to which he has called them. He wants the church in Ephesus to know what the hope to which he has called them. What is our hope? Our hope is that God will do everything he promised he would through his word. Amen. That is our hope. Not that just we're going to heaven, but he's going to do everything he said he would. But every promise that he gave, our hope is that he is going to do that. And that, and many of us look at it like an earthly kind of hope. Like, man, I hope my wife makes steak tonight, you know. Like, we don't know if that's really going to happen, but we're hoping it does. No, that, that's not the kind of hope he's talking about. He's talking about a full assurance of hope. I was a vegetarian, now i a steak, so I do kind of hope like that, you know, sometimes. But anyway. Um, but, so Paul is, is saying, listen... I'm asking that God would give them the hope of glory, the hope of glory that God is going to do everything he said he would from start to finish, that he is going to, he's going to redeem you, he's going to transform you, and He's going to glorify you one day, and all of the promises that go with it, he's going to go with you, he's going to see you through it, he's going to lead you, he's going to empower you, he's going to do all these things. That is the hope that Paul is praying for, and not only that we would have a partial knowledge, but we would have a full knowledge of this. Now, does anybody need a full knowledge of this? Because I'll tell you I do. Because I'll be transparent with you. There are times where I, I wonder in my brain, in my brain, is this really real? Is this really real? And when you, have, when you come to that place, listen, it will always take faith to walk with Christ. Always. It doesn't matter how long you walk with him. So therefore, there is always momentary places where the enemy can insert doubt or where, you're, where your brain Your flesh can overrule and and cause doubt. So, what do we need to know? We We need to know the hope that lies within us. Like, not just once, but we need to know that over and over again. We need to meditate on that. Like, we need to have a full knowledge of that so that we can have what? A full assurance. A full assurance of faith. Some of you don't have a full assurance of faith because you don't have a full assurance of hope, you're not sure. You're not 100% sure, and you're, maybe, you're, maybe you're not sure because you're really not trying that hard to know, right? You're not really sitting before God and saying, God, I need to know you more so that I can apply, right? I need knowledge before I can get wisdom. Lord, just give me wisdom. Just give me a download. That's not the way it works. You have to do the work. If you want to have full assurance of your faith, you got to do the work. you got to get in his word. you got to know him. And when you know him, then you can apply what he's saying, Okay? It doesn't work outside of that. You got to do the work. You have to express your faith. You have to walk in your faith. You have to say, God, I'm going to trust you, even though maybe, I'm, maybe I have a doubt. Lord, it's the prayer of, uh, of the Roman soldier that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. <gasps> you have unbelief sometimes. And then I pray, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, help me in this moment. Not one of us will walk through this life flawlessly in the flesh. We will in the spirit through Christ, right? So we got to l- limit to, to as much a degree as we can. We got to die to ourselves to as much a degree that we can so that doesn't happen. But if it does, we have to, we, when, 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 we, when we, Pastor Chuck used to say, when we encounter those things that we don't understand, we fall back on those things that we do understand. What does the Bible say? says that I can trust God. Okay, I'm good. I can do this. So Paul is asking for them to understand the hope which lies within them. Secondly, he is praying for uh, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, this is mind-blowing. I don't think, if you don't read this carefully, you will totally miss what it's saying. Right? What inheritance is he speaking of? He's talking about your inheritance? No. No. He's talking about God's inheritance. Well, wait a second. Who is he talking about? You. You mean I'm God's inheritance? Yes. That's what he's saying. He wants you to know, first and foremost, primarily, above everything else, that you are God's inheritance. You might not feel like that today. You might feel like, Lord, I'm not worthy Of being an inheritance to you. An inheritance? Isn't that like riches and glory? Like it's something that you want, not something you don't want. You want me? Yes, he wants you. And he loves you. And you're his inheritance. He told the children of Israel, although they would mess their lives up tremendously, you're my inheritance. And he says that to you today. You're my inheritance. If you're in Christ, you are his inheritance, first and foremost. But there's also an inheritance that you get. And it's the riches and the glory of Christ that one day you'll be seated with him of everything that he has because you are his inheritance. That is incredible. That is incredible. And the inheritance that you will get, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 2.9, no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God, help us to see that we are your inheritance, that we would live it, live like that, right? That I would live like I'm an inheritance to God because you are. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. Thirdly, Paul prays this. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul prays for these believers to have a correct view of God He's praying that they would have a correct view of God, that God is, listen, all-powerful. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. He's omnipotent. He he has more power than you can even fathom. He has all the power in the world. He is all-powerful, and Paul is praying that we would understand who he is. If you're serving a God who loves you, Who's working in your life, who cares about every single thing that you go through, and the fact that He's all powerful, what does that make every situation, circumstance in your life that seems impossible to you? What does it make it? Possible. Makes it possible. That's where we have hope. It doesn't matter if your marriage is failing, it doesn't matter if um, God is all powerful over your marriage. God is all powerful over your thoughts, over your. Depression, over your anxiety, over whatever it is that you're dealing with, over your addiction. God is all-powerful over these things. We have to recognize that. God, you are all-powerful over that, and you've given me victory. You've given me freedom. You've given me everything I need. So help me to walk in it, applying what you know. Wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge. Now there are there are some things as we move into verses 19 through 23 that Paul explicitly calls out regarding the power of God. Like what he wants to define the kind of power that God has, right? So he he goes on in verse 19b there, according this the, the power of God according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God's power is revealed in three ways through Jesus Christ. Firstly, that he was raised he raised Jesus from the dead. Now, That same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you because he raised you from the dead. You were once dead, now you're alive. That power is in you. The the power of God being able to breathe life into you. How can you be sure? Because God transformed you and because he said he, he he would cause you to go from life to death because his word said it, and because your life reflects it, right? If your life doesn't reflect it, then that power is not in you. It has to be reflected. He raised Jesus from the Christ. There was a literal raising of the dead, and there is a literal raising of the dead in you. God has the power to do that. Secondly, God God has the power to reveal through Christ. He reveals Christ in his power... uh, through the position that he was given. He was seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now, in biblical terms, this is the place of honor, the right hand. Not only that, but it also signifies equality with God. Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father, not only because he is seated in the place of honor, but also because he is equal, because he is God. And so he can sit in that seat. God has given Uh, Jesus all rule and authority and power and dominion. There is nothing that Jesus isn't ruling over, folks. Nothing. Every circumstance in your life, every situation, He is ruling over and He has authority over. Not only that, but He has power over. So what do we need to do? Trust in Him. Because God isn't purposely, you know, allowing you to go through something without some purpose. He's not just saying, I don't know, even know if that makes sense, but he, he, he is allowing you to go through whatever it is that you're going through because there's a purpose behind it. Don't question, the pur- don't question the purpose. Just allow it to come forth in your life. Just trust in it. Lord, I know that you're doing something, and I'll, I'll trust you with it. He's given Jesus the name above all names, not just in the here and now, but for all of eternity. As I stated before, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And what is crazy is that you and I are seated with him in the heavenlies. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, but we'll get into that next week. Finally, God's power is revealed through Christ in the fact that he has made him head of the church. Hashtag Jesus is not your homie. He is your head. He is your head. He has sovereign power and authority over not a building made with bricks and sticks, folks, but over a people who are flesh and spirit. He is head over you. You are the church. When he talks about being the head of the church, that means he is the head of you. Unlike angels who were created and ruled over by Jesus... Listen, we are joined to Him. You have a privileged position. I hope you understand that. In the scheme of all creation, you have an incredible position that God would choose you, that He would predestine you, that He would, you know, redeem you, that He would seal you, that He would do these things in your life, you know, is amazing. And then He would be your head. He would join himself to you. What a privilege. But Lord, I don't got time to pray today, man. So busy. Lord, I ain't got time to really get in your word today. I'm just so busy doing stuff, Lord. Yeah. Man, what an incredible thing. And I don't mean to hammer on you. I'm hammering on me. Because I can allow myself to think that I'm pretty important. But he, I'm nothing in comparison to him. He is awesome. And he loves you, and he is your head. What does that mean? It means you need to submit to him, right? You don't tell your brain what to do. Your brain tells you what to do. Your brain tells your hands what to do, tells your arms what to do, tells your feet what to do, tells your toes what to do, tells your mouth what to do, tells your ears what to do, tells your nose what to do, what your it it is responsible for everything. He is your head. He gets to tell you what you can and cannot do. He gets to tell you how you are and are not supposed to live. He gets to tell you what is acceptable and not acceptable. He gets to set the rules. You don't get to set the rules. It's him because he's the head. He gets to do these things. That means we have to submit, listen, to the headship of Christ. And I promise you, it's not like, it's not a burden to do that. It's a privilege, number one. Number two, it's to your benefit. Because your head is is telling your body what to do that is most beneficial to your body. Jesus is telling you to do what is most beneficial in your life to help you avoid every pitfall and every difficulty that, that you would find yourself in because of your trying to be the head. Stupid decisions. Listen, if you've made stupid decisions in your life, which we all have, stop doing it. Let him be the head. It's easy for you to say, oh. Well, it is easy for me to say because he's the head. He, can, he tells us what to do. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, right? So do what he says. It's that simple. Listen, he's been given the power, the authority to... to And he uses it in such incredible ways that he won't force you to do what he says, but he will speak to you about it, and he'll tell you, come on, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Don't do that. Go this way. Don't go that way. This is more beneficial for you, I promise you. And sometimes it's just through direct conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's through his word. Sometimes it's through somebody else where the Holy Spirit uses somebody else to come in your life and go, man, dude, what are you doing? Why you, do, you can't tell me what to do. Well, if Jesus is operating through me, I certainly can tell you what to do, right? Because he's telling you what to do, not me. If it's in here, I can pretty much tell you what to do because he's saying it. Don't judge me, man. That is like a broken record. Stop it. Don't judge me. I'm just simply telling you that, hey, God doesn't want you doing these kind of things. Stop doing it. Because his word says so. Paul is praying. This is a prayer. And listen, I I think we would do well to pray this for each other. That we would know what God has done for us. That we would have knowledge of him. That we can apply it to wisdom in our lives. That we would live to to the level that he's called us to. Amen? He's called you to a greater place, folks. Not... Not in heaven, yes, one day, but also in the here and now. You can experience the riches of Christ today. You don't have to wait for heaven because he's given it to you now. There is the, the, the idea of the, the, the kingdom of God is here and is coming. And you can experience the kingdom of God here and you will experience it one day when he does come and get you. But don't forget about the here, don't wait. Know Him and apply it to your life. Amen? Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. We thank You, Lord, for just an incredible set of passages, Lord, that are exhorting us, Lord, that praying over us, Lord, really, that we may know. Will You open the eyes of our hearts today, God? Will You help us to rest in the work that was done for us on the cross? Not only that, Lord, but will you help us to apply the riches that you've been given to us, that have been given to us through Christ even now? Lord, we, we're praying for surrendered hearts because ultimately this is, that is what this is all about. It's about surrendering to you. If we will surrender to you, we will we will be walking in the riches of Christ in this inheritance that we've been given. And so we ask you even now, Lord, to do that work in our hearts to just draw us close to you. To surrender to you in whatever means necessary. For some of us today, Lord, it means that we need to bow our knee to you and confess that you are our Lord. That we need to surrender, Lord, in the sense of salvation to say, God, I need to be saved today. I need to be redeemed. You chose me. You called me out. You predestined me to be redeemed by your son so that I can be sealed by your spirit. And I want that in my life today. And if that's you this morning, you simply need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. That is scripture. But there is a real sense in which we must do that in all sincerity. And not just mumble words, but it must be from the center of our being, from the core of who we are. And what an appropriate time to do that as we are going to remember what Jesus has done for us through the cross in communion. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning, would you just draw them to yourself? Would you help them to say, Lord, I want to make you my Lord. I want to confess my sin, turn away from it, God. I need forgiveness and I know that you're the one that can give it. You have to be my Lord, and I want to make you my Lord today. I believe that you died and rose, and and that you will give me life today. Thank you, Lord. And Father, for the rest of us here today that are walking in you, Lord, will you help us to, will you reveal yourself in a greater way that we might know who you are and the knowledge of who you are that we can apply to our lives, Lord? We just ask for full surrender today, God. We thank you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's word.